Chapter 2 What Must I Do to Be Saved? by J. Wilbur Chapman Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Acts 16, verses 30 and 31 The Apostle Paul lived in a perpetual state of revival. He only had to enter Philippi, the principal city of Macedonia, and sit by the riverbank, and Lydia, the seller of purple, immediately believed and was baptized. Acts 16, verses 13 through 15. He only had to walk along the streets to the place of prayer, and there was so much power about him that a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination followed him and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God. And Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace. Acts 16, verses 16 through 19. Then they tore off their clothes, beat them with many stripes, and cast them into the inner prison, fastening their feet in the stocks. But this did not in any way affect these servants of God. It was undoubtedly true for them, as one of the modern poets has expressed, stone walls did not a prison make, nor iron bars a cage. For at midnight, in the midst of all the darkness, they sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Acts 16, verse 25. What a strange sound that must have been in that old jail, where ordinarily only curses had been heard. But suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. Acts 16, verse 26. In the midst of all this confusion, the jailer sprang into their presence and was ready to kill himself, thinking the prisoners had escaped. Paul then exclaimed, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Acts 16, verse 28. Right in this connection, there is a clear distinction drawn between men of influence and men of power. Ordinarily, we say that what the church needs today is men of influence, meaning men of position. And so it does. But from this illustration, I think we may agree that the greater demand is for men of power. Paul and Silas did not have enough influence to keep them out of jail, but they had power that was sufficient to pray down the prison walls and throw wide open its doors. Also in this incident, there is given to us a true and noticeable picture of what it means for one to be saved. If I were an artist, I would like to draw upon a blackboard a large letter C and then fill out from that one letter four words. These four words would present to us not only a picture of this Philippian jailer, but also of everyone who really and truly comes to Christ. Conviction The first word would be conviction. We certainly find this in the jailer, for we are told that he came trembling. Acts 16, verse 29. It is not possible for anyone to be saved without first of all experiencing real conviction. However, it should be suggested that this may manifest itself in different ways in different people. Sometimes it is evidenced in great need. 
One would display his ignorance if he were to assert that Nicodemus, for example, was the chief of sinners, for he was a ruler of his people, an honored member of the Sanhedrin, and a most vigilant man in every way. But there was a great sense of need in his heart that his position had never satisfied, and this compelled him, I imagine, to seek out the great teacher. If, therefore, there is this feeling in your heart today that the world does not satisfy, that the pleasures of sin prove to be a mockery, and if with all this there is a sense of need you have not yet satisfied, this may be real conviction. Come to Jesus with that need. He alone can help you. Not infrequently it may assume the form of complete unworthiness, such as the poor publican had when he said, God be merciful to me a sinner. Luke 18, verse 13. But the article there in the Greek was a definite one, and what he really said was this, God be merciful to me, the sinner, as if he were the only one in the world. This is a most hopeful condition. As a rule, it is the awareness that we have sinned and are therefore under condemnation. In the unregenerate state, it is the fearfulness that the penalty of the broken law may fall upon us. Yet I am quite clear in my own mind that there may be a deeper conviction of one's sins after one's regeneration than before. Just as one may not be aware that their face is dirty until they look in a mirror, in a similar way many people can never know what sin is until they see it in the presence of Jesus Christ. But whatever the form of conviction, it must surely be experienced before the light will dawn. Come to Jesus just as you are, for He can satisfy your longings by filling you with Himself, and He is able to blot out all your transgressions and forgive all your sins. Contrition The second word starting with the letter C would be contrition. The Philippian jailer had this, for he fell down before Paul and Silas. Acts 16, verse 29. It is certainly true that one cannot come to God without first of all having a broken and contrite heart. Why would this not be true? We have sinned against God, and there must be contrition, remorse, shame, and repentance, for it if we are to be forgiven. God may be ever so willing to forgive, but still he does not do so without contrition. In the state prison of Iowa, there is a young man held as a convict against whom the charge of arson stands, and also the attempt to kill. Very recently, the party whose building was set on fire circulated a petition stating that the young man should be pardoned. The man whose life was attempted followed his example and succeeded in securing the names of the judge by whom he was sentenced, the attorney who prosecuted him, and the entire jury that found him guilty. This petition was carried to the governor. In the face of it, as strong as it was, he said, No, the man cannot be pardoned, for his crime was not committed against the individual, but against the commonwealth of Iowa, and he must serve his sentence. It should be remembered by the sinner that these words are true. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned. Psalm 51, verse 4. There must be contrition, or there cannot be salvation. Yet what a marvelous thing it is that if someone is ever so great a sinner, the moment this spirit is manifest, God blots out all his transgressions. 
It is stated that in St. Petersburg, a father's heart was nearly broken because of the prodigality of his son, who was addicted to the habit of gambling. And with that came the accompanying vices. At last the old father came up with the idea that what the boy needed was better surroundings, so he set out to secure them. What a mistake this is, and how many have made it. That is not what you need. The other day a woman was seated in Central Park, New York, with her little child playing near her, when suddenly she was startled by the shrieking of the little one. She had been frightened by the barking of a dog, and she jumped into her mother's arms, who sought to comfort her by saying, The dog has stopped barking. Why are you afraid? The child only sobbed out, But, Mama, the bark is still in him. This is true of people in sin. The bark is still in them, and what they need is not new surroundings, but a new nature. This only comes from above and can be received only by faith. Anyway, this father of whom I speak secured his son's appointment in the army, but in this position he went from bad to worse until he had reached the end of it all. He was completely discouraged. He was figuring up all the money he owed, and when the overwhelming figure was reached, in great desperation he wrote at the bottom of the column these words, Who is to pay all this? The emperor of Russia, as was his habit, went through the barracks to inspect the soldiers. He passed this young man who had fallen asleep with his head in his arms. The emperor glanced at the figures before him on the table, read the question, and then bent over and wrote one word, Nicholas. And as the story goes, that one name meant the cancelling of all the indebtedness, and the man was free. I do not know if this story is true, but I do know that if you list all your sins from the earliest recollection to the present moment, and beneath the sum of them all write this question, Who is to pay all this? There will be one name written in answer to it. Sweetest note in seraph song, sweetest name on mortal tongue, sweetest carol ever sung, Jesus, blessed Jesus. Conversion the third word that begins with the letter C would be conversion. And we find this in the Philippian jailer, for we are told that he washed their stripes. Acts 16, verse 33. This was certainly a great change in the man. At first, he pleasingly fastened their feet in the stocks. I can imagine him then stooping down with a cooling touch to ease their pain. There must be conversion if we are ever to be saved. I am not speaking of the new birth, that is God's part of it, but I am emphasizing the thing man must do if he is ever to see the light. In one way it is right about face. It is following the example of the blind men who put themselves in the way of Jesus, or it is the obedience of the lepers who, as they went, were cleansed. Indeed, to sum it all up, it is for the unsaved person to have the willing mind. We are told that if we are willing and obedient, we shall eat the good of the land. Isaiah 1 verse 19. God never saved anyone until, first of all, he was willing to be saved. So whether one kneels at the altar, bows in prayer in his own home, stands in the crowded audience, or signs the inquirer's card, 
The end of all these things must be the submission of the will to God. Then God does His own work, and we are born again, born from above. Confession The fourth and last word to be completed from the letter C is confession. And this is clearly found in the experience of the jailer, for we are told that he was baptized. Acts 16, verse 33. What a mistake it is for a person to believe in his heart, yet fail to confess with his lips. Such a position is never satisfactory and never brings real joy. It is not being obedient, to say the least. If your physician would write two prescriptions for you in your sickness, but you only took one of the medications he prescribed, he would have the right to find fault with you and tell you that you would never get well until you took the entire prescription. It is the same with the great physician in our sin sickness. He has written the prescription that assures us of life, and it is composed of two parts. First, believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Second, Confess with your lips that you have appropriated him, not as a Savior, but as your Savior. For if one desires to be fully saved, he must commit himself, Romans 10, verse 9. It is not walking with the army that makes one a soldier. It is not even wearing the uniform of a soldier that makes him such, for this may be bought or stolen, but it is the definite enlistment and this comes to one who would be a soldier of Jesus Christ when he definitely and clearly confesses him. This is his enlistment. What must I do to be saved? This seems to be the unsaved person's first question. Philosophy has never yet answered this question. Unbelief has tried it and has made it a mockery. God's answer is clear and simple. The Bible says, By grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It is very easy to receive a gift. The first step in salvation is not to give something, but rather to receive. Man would naturally say that if you want to be a child of God, try to walk as a child, and you will eventually become one. However, God makes it very clear that there can be no real life until there is a step taken first of all by faith. Then he reveals himself. The things of God are spiritually discerned, and God is a revelation rather than an explanation. To make it very clear, the best answer is the one given. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Acts 16, verse 31. The Names of Jesus Christ There is something very significant in the way the names of Jesus Christ are used. For example, when he is called Lord, it is to emphasize his kingly office, or his reigning power. And what can the meaning be except when we are told to believe on him as Lord? We must reach the place where we are willing to let him reign in our lives. Can you submit to this? He will never make a failure of it. Jesus is his earthly name, and the Bible says, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew 1, verse 21. It must be necessary, then, for us to get a perception of him as he hangs upon the cross. And certainly we know he was there for just one purpose, 
that he might die in our place. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. Major Whittle tells the story of a company of robbers arrested in Missouri during the days of the war. They were sentenced to be shot. The punishment was about to be carried out when a young boy touched the commanding officer on the arm and said, Won't you allow me to take the place of the man standing over there? He has a family and will be greatly missed. No one will miss me. May I take his place? When the officer had given his consent, the young boy stepped forward, took the man out of line, and stood in his place. When the command was given to fire, the boy fell down dead. His grave is still to be found in the little Missouri town, and on the stone that marks it is cut these words, Sacred to the memory of Willie Lear. He took my place. This is true of Jesus Christ. He died so that we might live, but we must accept him. He's also called Christ, but this is his resurrection name. As Christ, he stands this moment at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Can you accept him there? It seems to me that this makes the whole Christian life very plain. Jesus is my Lord because he rules me. He is Jesus because he saved me. He is Christ because whenever the mistakes of life overtake me, he stands at God's right hand to make explanation and intercession. Do you receive him in this way? The Word of God It is also to be remembered that in the case of the Philippian jailer, light came in all its clearness when they spake unto him the word of the Lord. Acts 16, verse 32. I have very little confidence in that person who is not established upon God's word for the assurance of his salvation. I have all the hope imaginable for that person who will receive it with meekness. I do not mean that he should be able to explain it immediately, but only that he receives it by faith. God's word is sometimes spoken of under the figure of the hammer, e.g., Jeremiah 23, verse 29, and as such it can break our stubborn wills. It is sometimes said to be the light, e.g. Psalm 119, verse 105, and as such it will penetrate the darkness. It is frequently called the water, e.g. Ephesians 5, verse 26, for it always cleanses by displacement. I am convinced that if we only persuade people to receive the word of God, it would bring joy unspeakable and a peace that the world can neither give nor take away. One could not live in the promise and declaration of John's third chapter, 16th verse, without rejoicing in hope. Say it over and over to yourself this way, and thus make it your own verse. God so loved me that he gave his only begotten Son, that I, believing in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. I do not want you to forget that in this interesting story of the jailer, he was baptized. Baptism is inseparably connected with believing, and it is just as certainly a command of God's as that we believe. We may differ as to the mode, but too much emphasis cannot be placed upon the command itself. It is true, of course, that one may be saved without it, as, for example, the thief on the cross. For him, it was impossible. But I would be afraid to run the risk when Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. 
but he that believeth not shall be damned. Mark 16, verse 16. Eventually, when we stand before him, we could not but say that we had neglected to do as he commanded if we have not been baptized. It is the experience of Christians everywhere that this sacrament brings upon the believer a marvelous blessing and leads him out into an experience that can never be described in words. Rejoiced It is not to be forgotten that when all these steps had been taken by the Philippian jailer, he rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Acts 16, verse 34 that word is certainly true that in his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16, verse 11. And why should it not be so? One of my friends, a Scotsman, told me that some time ago he was going through his native land and stopped at a little cottage by the wayside to rest. When he entered the room, his first inclination was to be seated in a very comfortable chair that occupied a very prominent place in the room. However, just as he made the attempt, an old Scottish woman ran to the chair, lifted her hand, and exclaimed, Nay, nay, man, don't sit there. And she pointed to the scarlet cord fastened around the chair that he had not noticed before. She then said, One day, as Her Majesty, the Queen, was traveling, a sudden storm came upon her, and she left her carriage and came into this house. With a look of great reverence, the woman exclaimed, She sat in this chair. After she left, we fastened the scarlet cord around it, and I said, We will give it to John, and he can keep it in his family. She then said, Is it not wonderful that Her Majesty the Queen has used it? But I have a greater cause for rejoicing. Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, has counted it a joy to take up his residence in my heart. He has cast around me the scarlet cord, which makes me his own. It is a great thing for me to say that he is mine, but it is far greater for me to declare that I am his. And with the Philippian jailer, therefore, I rejoice with exceeding joy.